everyone. Welcome to another Mediascope Brief. My name is Tachi. I talk all about media tech and pop culture news. Glad to see you. Well, not really see you, at least perceive you because I can't hear you. But in any case, welcome back. So, you know, the big talk of this week is happening in Las Vegas, CES. That's right. The Consumer Electronics Show, which takes place every year around this time in January in Las Vegas, Nevada at the Las Vegas Convention Center. We're talking 3 million square feet of stuff, consumer electronics for your viewing playing, listening, and whatever pleasure. (laughs) I so wish I could be there. I promise myself I will be there next year reporting live from there. But for now, I have to live vicariously through others. There are a couple of cool things that came out. Everybody usually waits until these big events to make their announcements. So Twitter is going to begin testing icebreakers to spark healthy conversation. Last year, At CES, Twitter touted a handful of features that were supposed to spark conversation on the platform or increase the health of public uh, transportation. Conversation, as CEO Jack Dorsey told them last year. At CES today, the company representatives confirmed to Engadget that the features would roll out to certain users in the coming weeks as part of a public test. The first of these was a Facebook-like presence indicator that displays when users are online. And I guess it is easier to start a conversation with people who are actively using the social network when you're trying to talk to them. Who knew? Anyway, uh, depending on the variation Twitter chooses to, to roll out, chooses to roll out rather, this may also include a Slack-like status option that lets you include your current status beneath your username. Next is the icebreakers feature, a sort of canned message that users can rely on to spark conversation with other people. According to The Verge, who reported this last year, the feature would um, look something like, did anyone understand, dot, dot, dot. And then you could put something like the last episode of Westworld, I'm so confused. So that's kind of like a prompt or a discussion prompt in a sense. Twitter is also considering allowing users to pin this icebreaker to the top of their profile, a built-in conversation starter for potential followers to connect with users on their terms. Last up, a new take on threaded replies. So for users who still don't realize that they can reply to individuals' tweets within a thread rather than the thread itself, these new replies make it really easy not only to respond, but to differentiate responses from the noise of other people on the thread, according to Twitter's Sarah Hyder in August. Well, so that's what's going on. These are the announcements that Twitter made at CES. And it's not like they they actually turned a profit last year for the first time. So that is a good thing. And I guess they're trying to continue that stream by adding all these new features that will make the platform more sociable. All right. Well, let me know. Are you even a Twitter user? Do you care? Do you think that these new features will cause people to use them more and increase the content and value of our conversations? Let me know. All right, I'll be back soon with more media tech and pop culture news. Cheers. And welcome back. Now, if you're like a lot of people, you sometimes are using a DSLR camera or something that uses an SD card for storage and you wish, man, I wish I had more storage, especially if you're shooting video. Well, Lexar 
has a one terabyte SD card and it's the first that you can actually buy. So it's the first flash memory product under the Lexar brand following its acquisition and revival. Uh, and it's here. And what better way to kick things off than by having this massive SD storage milestone? You can buy what appears to be the first legitimate commercially available one terabyte SD card according to The Verge. So SanDisk showed off a one terabyte SD prototype a few years ago, but the product never made it to market. Lexar's professional 633X line of SDHC and SDXC UHS-1 cards, however, is now listed for sale in capacities from 16 gig all the way up to the flag flagship one terabyte. So that card, the one terabyte, claims to read speeds up, up, up to 95 megabytes per second and write speeds of 70 megabytes per second, though it's only rated as a V30 slash U3, which guarantees sustained write performance of 30 megabytes per second. Okay. For those of you that are wondering what the hell is all this, that's uh, dealing with speed. And it's, you know, relatively fast. As ever, you don't get premium for a cheap price. There is a premium price associated with this. You're going to pay more for a single one terabyte card than you would for two 512 gigabyte cards. Lexar has set the price at $499.99. That's $500. So you're basically paying, you know, uh, uh, you're paying a lot for this. So although B&H has it available for order for $399.99 or $400, it's still quite a hike considering that the same retailer has various 512 gig cards for under $150. So you could buy two for 300 basically. But if you're a videographer or content creator and you're trying to make life easier when handling a lot of 4K footage, the extra convenience may be worth it. And here's where it comes in. If you're shooting in 4K, you're going to eat up a smaller size, the 128 and, and 512 gig very quickly because 4K takes a lot of space. So, and that's the key thing with storage when you're shooting in these higher resolutions. But here is the caveat for me, I don't think I would ever do a one terabyte card because if you lost that or the card got corrupted or damaged, that is a lot of money to be throwing away and I'd be mad as hell. So for those of you that are creators, let me know, have you been clamoring for a one terabyte SD card? Are you happy about this or do you feel like me where it's like, mm, if I lose it, no way. I prefer to do smaller cards than to lose one big card that costs like 500 bucks. Let me know what you think about this. I am so interested to know. All right, I'll be back soon. Cheers. Okay, so now we're going to turn over to TV. And according to TV Newser, Al Roker has expressed support for the meteorologist who was fired fired for uttering a racial slur on air. So today's show meteorologist Al Roker publicly expressed support for former News 10 NBC meteorologist Jeremy Capel after the Rochester, New York weatherman was fired for uttering a racial slur during the 5.30 p.m. newscast last Friday. So according to... Uh, uh, TV newser. Capel was talking over a photo of a skate park while doing a forecast and said Martin Luther Coon King Jr. 
The Rochester Association of Black Journalists asked News 10 for a complete explanation of what happened, who was uh, who was responsible, and why nothing was immediately said after the broadcast. They also said they want to know what measures were going to be taken to prevent incidents like this from occurring in the future. The mayor of Rochester is Lovely Warren, who is African-American, and she was among those who had called for Capel's firing. Now, Al Roker said on Twitter, I think at Jeremy Capel made an unfortunate flub and should be given the chance to apologize on at News 10 NBC. Anyone who has done live TV and screwed up, Google any number of ones that he's done, he said, understands. So... On Monday, Hubbard Broadcasting Stations VP, which is the station group that owns that station, and general man- the general manager issued a statement and fired Capel, who said he had a verbal slip and jumbled his words during the broadcast. Needless to say, Capel is grateful for Roker's support, saying to his tweet, to Al Roker's tweet, Al, thank you very much. Your support means so much to this family. So many people feel that Capel's firing was the right move. Some others disagree. In fact, a change.org petition with the title, I Stand Behind Jeremy Capel, has garnered a whopping three, sorry, 30,000, 33,700 signatures. So it remains to be seen whether or not Hubble Broadcasting or Hubbard, excuse me, Broadcasting, which operates that station, will allow Capel to return to the airwaves. So you want to know what I think? Even if you don't, I'm going to tell you. There is no such thing as a slip of that type. You jumbled and said, Martin, oh, come on now. Um, I think there was a case of trying to see what we could get away with. And if that was going to happen, um, there was no explanation after the fact. I think that maybe Al Roker, of course, he understands slips and he understands flubs, but you don't make flubs and slips like that. Not in this climate. So no, I don't really care to hear your apology. No, I don't. I don't care that you made a mistake. People make mistakes, but guess what? You don't have the luxury of making a mistake when you're in the public eye and you're doing things like that. We can't forget that people in the public eye are not just ordinary people. So yes, they are human, but I'm sorry. You have been given a platform where you can't afford to make mistakes. So you can't fall back on, oh, it's a simple flub to hell with that. So no, sorry, we're not buying it, Jeremy. Find a way, you know, instead of trying to um, do all of that, find a way to apologize. I don't know what he's been doing, but you need to find a way to uh, make that up. And then that's between you and your maker. All right, let me know what you think about that. Had you heard about the story? And if so, what do you think? Do you think that this is a simple mistake? Don't be influenced by what I think. I want to know what you think. Okay, I'll be back. Cheers. And today in Bird Box Madness, an Atlanta restaurant on the East Side Beltline is grabbing hold of the juggernaut that is Netflix's new movie called Birdcage. Whoops, I mean Bird Box, for an event later this month. Taco and Margarita joint Guac y Margie's is going to hold a Bird Box dinner on January 24th, offering participants an opportunity to make like Sandra Bullock's character, Mallory, in the movie. So according to an event listing, It says, you've seen Bird Box. You may have even put on a blindfold to see how hard it is to walk around your house and yard. We don't recommend this. But have you eaten tacos and drank margaritas while blindfolded? No? Well, now's your chance. Tickets include two tacos, a dip, a margarita of the eatery's choice, 
and um fun i guess if that's your idea of fun if you guess what kind of taco and margaritas you were served correctly you get a free cookie for dessert and don't worry there are no demonic forces invited. So the event is capped at 48 people and you can actually purchase tickets through um, the webs, uh, through Eventbrite. So it's Eventbrite and Bird Box Dinner, basically. If you look it up, I'm sure it's right there. And yeah, it starts at $24 if you're interested in doing that. Um, and then, sorry, $25. And then it goes up to 35, 30 and 35 the day of the event. Who's tired of this bird box challenge, bird box madness? Who's just tired of it? Did you see the movie Bird Box? As we know, in the first week, it garnered 26 million views. Okay, so 26 million people, according to Nielsen, watched Bird Box in the first week. That is absolutely amazing. And that is only second just by 8 million, no, sorry, by 1 million to the second season of Stranger Things. So Stranger Things has been around for a while and has been able to, you know, gather their following. So that is pretty good that in one week they were able to do 26 million. How the hell ever? I'm tired of seeing all this bird box stuff. So let me know what you think about that. If you're in the Atlanta area, if you plan on attending this event, you probably better hurry up because they cap it at 48 and everybody is bird box fever crazy now. So it probably will sell out. Let me know. I'll be back. Cheers. Okay, so now on to some research. According to The Verge, there's a new study out that shows that people older than 65 share the most fake news, and this finding holds true across party lines. So older Americans are disproportionately more likely to share fake news on Facebook, according to a new analysis by researchers at New York and Princeton universities. Older users shared more fake news than younger ones, regardless of education, sex, race, income, or how many links they shared. In fact, age predicted their behavior better than any other characteristic, including party affiliation. So the role of fake news in influencing voter behavior has been debated continuously since the current president's surprising victory over Hillary Clinton in 2016. And at least one study has found that a pro-current president fake news, um, co-current president fake news likely persuaded some people to vote for him over Clinton, influencing the election's outcome. How sad are we as a society? Moving on, another study found that relatively few people clicked on fake news links, but that their headlines likely traveled much further via the news feed, making it difficult to quantify their true reach. This finding that older people are more likely to share fake news could help social media users and platforms design more effective interventions to stop them from being misled. This study was published in Science Advances, and they examined users' behavior in the months before and after the 2016 presidential election. In early 2016, the academics started working with research form, firm YouGov to assemble a panel of 3,500 people, which included both Facebook users and non-users. On November 16th, just after the election, they asked Facebook users on the panel to install an application that allowed them to share data, including profile, public 
profile fields, religious and political views, posts to their own timeline and the pages that they followed. Users could opt in or out of sharing individual categories of data and researchers did not have access to the news feeds or data about their friends. So this is what happened. About 49% of study participants who use Facebook agreed to share their profile data. Researchers then checked the links posted on their timelines against a web, a list of web domains that have historically shared fake news as compiled by Buzzfeed reporter Craig Silverman. Later, they checked the links against four other lists of fake news stories and domains to see whether the results would be consistent. And across all age categories, sharing fake news uh, was a relatively rare category. Only about 8.5% of users in the study shared at least one link from a fake news site. Okay, so that's, that's pretty low, which means that, uh, you know, like 91% did not do that. So I think sometimes we feel that the fake news thing is more of a problem than it actually is, or is more rampant, I should say, than it actually is. However, it probably is a bigger problem, which is why we perceive it as, you know, more rampant. So users who identified as conservative were more likely than users who identified as liberal to share fake news. 18% of Republicans shared links to fake news sites compared to less than 4% of Democrats. The researchers attributed this finding largely to studies showing that in 2016, fake news overwhelmingly served to promote the current president's candidacy. Interesting, but older users skewed the findings. 11% of users older than 65 shared a hoax, while just 3% of users 18 to 29 did. Facebook users aged 65 and older shared more than twice as many fake news articles than the next oldest age group of 45 to 65, and nearly seven times as many fake news articles as the youngest age group, 18 to 29. And so why are we complaining about millennials again? They seem to be a little more learned than we think, than those who are uh, supposed to be in charge. Anyway, when we bring up the age finding, a lot of people say, oh yeah, that's obvious. Co-author Andrew Guest, a political scientist at Princeton, told The Verge. For him, what was pretty striking was the relationship holds, even when you control for party affiliation or ideology, the fact that it's independent of those other traits was pretty surprising to him. It's not just being driven by older people being more conservative, because again, People tend to think that more fake news is shared by conservatives, which this showed to be the case, but it held across party affiliation. So regardless of age, the digital literacy gap has previously been blamed on users' willingness to share hoaxes. Interesting. All right. So what do you think of this? I find this to be fascinating and interesting. It's one study, but I'm sure that other studies may replicate the same results. I'm interested to see if this same study would hold true in 2020, given the current climate of what's happening now. They should definitely do this again, starting now for 2020. I want to hear from you. Let me know what you think. Uh, hit me back with a message here on Anchor, or you can hit me on Twitter at Tachiata. T-A-C-H-I-A-D-A. I would love to know what you think about this. Okay, cheers. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed all the news stories today. If you are wanting to contact me off of any of these audio platforms, please feel free to reach me on Twitter at Tachiata, T-A-C-H-I-A-D-A. I would love to hear from you. Okay, I'll be back soon. Cheers.